Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in, and today I'm joined by Mr. David Gilbert. Mr. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Grayson. Good to be here. And uh, David Gilbert is a member and attends our church uh, with his wife Rita here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene, and he's going to share his testimony with us today. Mr. David, just start out telling us about where you're from and how you grew up. Grayson, I was blessed to be born into um, a God-fearing family in Augusta County. Uh, My dad was a warm-hearted dentist and had a large dental practice and uh, just loved his patients and loved people in general, but uh, loved us as family. He chose to raise us on a farm like he was so that we would have some of those experiences, which I didn't particularly enjoy at the time, but looking back on it, I am so glad that that's where I was raised. That was in God's plan. It prepared me for things that I could not foresee. Well, thank you for sharing that. And just share with us uh, what life on the farm in Augusta County looked like growing up as a boy. Well, for me, we had a uh, rather small farm. We had horses and some other livestock, but primarily we had a huge garden and um, a lot of horses where uh, uh, I had to figure out things as a youngster, how to hang a gate by myself and how to do certain chores that uh, prepared me to be a fixer uh, going into engineering, civil engineering in life, and to figure out ways to accomplish things uh, physically. And I think that's part of what God had in mind. He gave me an analytical mind, and one that... Uh, doesn't just accept things because some persuasive fellow says so. Uh, I had to figure it out. And yet, when I came to Christ, I realized that uh, that analytical mind was of use to God, but I had to check my brains, uh, leave those with uh, in his care, because he went beyond what I could comprehend into an area where he really chose to do some amazing things in my life. Well, thank you for sharing that, and it sounds like, uh, as you said, God used that um, to teach you different lessons and skills that you would use later in life, and uh, uh, what are your earliest memories of church or really sensing God's presence in your life? Oh, well, um, I suppose it began when I was six years old. I was in an old-fashioned canvas tent revival meeting in Salem, Virginia, and my granny urged me to go forward when there was a call to come and surrender to Christ at the end of the service on one hot sunny morning in July of 1958, and um, this little six-year-old resisted at first, but knew that God was tugging at my heart, and um, that's where I went forward. And um, it was amazing. I can still remember that smell of the sawdust and uh, wood shavings on the grass and uh, that canvas tent in the sunshine. And um, It was just a wonderful thing that God did that day to rescue me. Even though I was just six, I hadn't had a chance to get into a lot of trouble, but I knew a real change and lasting change had occurred in my life. Well, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that, Mr. David. And I relate a lot to, uh, you know, at a young age, 
sensing God's presence in my life is when I was five, dad, you know, just asked me if I wanted to accept Christ. And I didn't understand all the details at the time, but understood it was something I wanted. And sounds like he used your grandmother at that camp meeting mm-hmm. to help share the Lord's presence with you, or maybe used your grandmother to prompt you to the Lord's presence in your life. So going forward after that camp meeting, after you asked Christ uh, to come live in your heart, any other things from your childhood, your growing up days that were impactful uh, to your walk uh, with Christ? Absolutely. The way that I really knew this was real, that it was genuine, that it was not just some sort of uh, passing emotional experience, was that in that little six-year-old boy who used to squabble with his three sisters, uh, like a lot of siblings do, something happened. I wasn't perfect in uh, all my ways, but something began to change. The first thing that I saw, it was a lasting change and an evidence of something real that had taken place within was a changed tongue. I didn't argue the same. I didn't down my sisters the same. I didn't uh, squabble with them the same. The Lord seemed to uh, prod me to uh, halt when I had those feelings. And he set a watch over my lips and changed that tongue and gave me a compassionate heart, a heart that was more sensitive to people, uh, aware of others, and a clean life, not one of hiding or fibbing and covering up. But that changed tongue and the compassionate life, the compassionate heart and that clean life really were evidence to me as a youngster that something real had indeed happened there. Well, thank you for sharing that. And as you were talking about living a clean life and how it helped your tongue, I was thinking about the old song that says, He washes as white as snow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, after you graduated high school, what was next for you? Where did God take you after your childhood and teen years? Oh, my. High school was um, kind of a breeze for me. It wasn't a real challenge. I guess I I got a little lax in some ways because it didn't feel like I was challenged enough sometimes. But uh, I had this notion that somehow I was... um, large and in charge at six and a half feet tall and uh, head and shoulders over most of my classmates and uh, feeling like I was pretty well educated and had a fairly good grip on things. I had an unrealistic expectation and assessment of myself. I didn't know how woefully inadequate I really was. And so when I went off to college, it wasn't long before I realized I wasn't big man on campus. I wasn't this large and in charge figure that I thought that I was. But God showed me something amazing in all of that and began to humble me because when you move into God's river of life, you start to realize some things. If he is leading it all, then we start to realize that the main essence of real life, real living that counts is life in Christ, and that requires entering his yoke. He says to come unto me, all you who are weary and laden with burdens, and enter into my yoke. Take it upon you. 
And one thing I realized to get into his yoke is that you got to bow the head. And once you get in that yoke with him, you have to be careful not to raise up your head so high that you choke. And so um, getting into the river of life with the Lord, for me, not ankle-deep relationship, not knee-deep relationship, but I mean to go in fully involved, all in, buoyed entirely by him and allowing his governorship of my life to steer it where it brings him maximum glory. And that means even when I don't quite understand it, with my analytical mind and having to find a cause and a reason for everything, I realized there was something there that I could not see, but yet God was in charge of it, and he knew exactly what he was doing. So that humbling experience during those years led me to the place where I felt like the greatest lesson in life was one of total surrender. When I'm feeling large and in charge, I want to be big man on campus. I have to head it up. I have to lead it if it's going to be led or I don't want to have anything to do. All of that began to change when I saw that I was utterly helpless without him. For John 15, 5, I think it is, says that without him, I can do nothing. Right. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that, Brother David. Uh, those are encouraging words, and I always am encouraged uh, when I talk to you. And uh, I had never heard that perspective on that scripture before, that we have to bow our heads in order to get in his yoke. So that's a great perspective and, and hopefully something that I'll remember and sure that I'll remember uh, whenever I think of that verse. And uh, you mentioned the word surrender and talking about surrendering to His will and what He has for us. So what does that look like to you as a believer? When you hear the word surrender, what do you think about? Grayson, I think that it's probably one of the most difficult lessons for any of us to learn in life. When we come into this world, we come in uh, crying for this or crying for that, that milk has to be the right temperature, the diaper has to be dry, and we kind of get conditioned to cry or scream and kick until we get what we want. Right. And it's something that uh, the Lord has to work into us as we surrender to Him, as we come to Him as new creations in Christ. He puts us on a spinning wheel like clay, just a clump of clay, and plops us down there on the platen where it's spinning, and we don't like it, and we don't feel like we're making any forward progress in life. And this wheel just keeps turning, and we're praying, God, get me off of here. And yet the master then begins to mess with us, He puts his hands on our messy old lives and he starts to get his hands dirty with us and shape us and form us for something that he had in mind that we didn't see. And yet it was his design all along. And finally, the platen stops and we say, well, it's about time, God. And uh, about that moment is when we are lifted off of the platen and put over into a 550-degree kiln he turns the heat up on us, and we realize we're now in a, more of a mess than we were before. But by the time we come out of there as a vessel that God wants to use, we realize that he's inscribed his identity right. on that vase or on that vessel. 
And he begins to say, some vessels are merely trash containers. And some vessels I've made fit for the master's use that I had nothing to do with. And I was trying to get him to stop this whole process of spinning me around and putting me in the furnace and all these things. And yet he had a plan in mind before he ever began the process and then realized that it was the goodness of our God who brought this about, that we could be vessels fit for the master's use, a vessel unto honor. And for me, that's the kind of the story of my life. I want to try to control the spinning and the heat and the things I don't like. And yet he says, I've got this. It's going to turn out great. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how he says he's the potter and we're the clay. And if we allow him to mold our lives, the Bible also says, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven that he has a plan and a plan filled with hope and not disaster. And so that's what I was thinking about, too, about how you're talking about being on that kiln and thinking we're in a worse shape than we were before. But if we just give God time, that we'll realize that, you know, when he's finished with us, which won't be until the day we go to meet him, that we'll be thankful for all the stuff that he's brought us through and know that we're stronger for it and how he used everything along the way to get glory for his kingdom. That's just great. Thank you for sharing that, Brady. Grayson, could I also share the amazing thing that one begins to realize in this relationship, talking about the potter and the clay? He chose to get his hands dirty with my life. He chose to take my sins through Christ. He chose to wash me and to clean me and to give me a life with purpose. And so he got intimate with me, put his hands all over me to shake me when I didn't understand what he was doing. And I tried to argue with him about how to go about his job. And it was like a child in protest against a knowledgeable parent. And that passage from, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 18, it talks about uh, this whole process of uh, what the potter is doing and what we, the clay, uh, need to see and understand and just trust him. The whole world, I mean for ages past in all nations, have one thing that runs common to them. Uh, throughout all those ages, one thing, and that's our great desire to love and to be loved. And yet it never has worked out. Man has not made his utopia after six millennia. And it's because of this one of greatest uh, of all lessons, this lesson of total surrender. Mm-hmm. We don't know what love is until we come to that place where we say, God, I'm not fighting you anymore. Have your way, as your dad used to say, have your way with the clay today. That should be our prayer. Amen, Brother David. I totally agree with you. And when you were talking about how he chose to get involved in our messy lives, he didn't have to, but he chose to. And about how he showed us what love is. I was thinking about the ultimate, you know, messiness or sacrifice that he showed for us was sending his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins Mm. so that we might have eternal life in heaven one day with him. 
if only we come to him and accept him into our hearts and surrender to his will for our lives. But he made the way for us where there was no way. It's so simple, and yet we've made it one of the most difficult things. Man does not want to accept this great offer of forgiveness and love that God has extended to us so that we could be put in right relationship with him. And it's the simplest thing, and yet it's the hardest thing for this old body of flesh to accept. Brother David, uh, we were talking about um, being in college and, you know, with your height, and we're talking about feeling like you're above, you know, you stood above your classmates and how God brought you to a place of surrender and realizing you couldn't do anything without Him. Talk about some of the ways that God has used you in your life, whether it be in ministry or in any other avenues, just how He's used you and what He's called you to and just anything else along those lines that you'd like to share. I was uh, right out of college. I was hired as the resident engineer and surveyor for a a large development, a resort development, about 14,500 acres over in Nelson County. It's now... uh, called Wintergreen Resort. It's skiing and golfing and horseback riding and such. But uh, as a kid out of college, taking on a job of that magnitude, it was fraught with all sorts of challenges and things. And the Lord began to show me through that job that he expected me to do a good job, an honest job, and to get things done ahead of schedule and under budget as best I could with his help. But in that process, I realized, too, that uh, I was woefully inadequate. I couldn't do these things. I was just a kid, basically, and I was expected to work alongside staff that were twice my age and much more experienced. And, And so, yes, I was humbled quite a few times on the way, but God worked through that in the most amazing way. And after coming out of that, um, I realized I had this call, this nudge of the Spirit on my life that is calling me into the pastoral ministry, something that I had promised myself I would never do. And yet, um, be careful about that, telling the Lord you won't do something because he may have some other plans and he doesn't lose. (laughs) So it was amazing. I went on into the ministry in preparation for the ministry, and on the date of my ordination, I got news that my wife had stage four cancer that had permeated her bone marrow and her lymphatic system. There was nothing I could do about it. This was my bride. This is the one I would lay down my life for without any hesitation, the love of my life on earth. And my precious bride was suffering. Now, if I could have taken that, it would have been easier for me to deal with emotionally. And yet it was my wife, whom I love so dearly and deeply. And The Lord showed me through this crisis that I needed to surrender that to him, that I couldn't fix, I couldn't mend, I couldn't restore, I couldn't make it all right. I was powerless and helpless. And so like a little boy crying to his daddy for help, I knelt and I prayed with my nose to the floor and I said, Daddy, help me. 
this guy who was getting ready to go in the ministry with all the answers, who knew all the scriptures and was ready to set the world right and uh, make things better for everyone. And I couldn't fix even my own life. I couldn't even fix my own emotions. And so in desperation, when I cried out to the Lord, he heard me as a merciful father. And he answered that prayer. And in 60 days, we stood before the head of the oncology department at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville and heard this man saying with shrugging shoulders and a shaking head, I don't completely understand it. I don't know, but there's no trace of that cancer anywhere in the bone marrow, in the lymph nodes, anywhere else in her body. It's just gone. This isn't normal. This isn't usual and customary after 60 days, but it's gone. And I just couldn't praise my God enough. Well, uh, the doctor might not have been able to explain it, uh, Mr. David, but I think you and I know that that was a miracle from the Lord. And that's just great news that he's still in the miracle business. And uh, just thank you for sharing that. And I don't think I was aware of all that. Uh, so thank you for sharing that with us. That brings me encouragement just hearing. And I know that he's still in the miracle business, and you know he's still in the miracle business Let that be a reminder to those listening today that if you're in need of a miracle, God is still a miracle-working God. Amen. And uh, it doesn't matter what your situation is, God can bring healing if that's His will to do so. And uh, Brother David, get us up to date with your life, how He's using you right now, what lets you know the gospel is the good news, and uh, whatever else you want to share about how He's using you right now. Well... In early January of this year, uh, a little over six months ago, uh, in fact, it was about six months to the day, I guess, um, I had an injury to my leg, to my right shin, and I thought it was just a bruise or something. It wasn't real important, but it developed into a hematoma, which then got infected. I checked into the emergency room at the local hospital, and they said, well, you've got a bad situation that's going to require some surgery on it. It's got to have an incision and then be left open to drain, and it's going to take a while. Well, I could have thrown my hands up, or I could have said, why me, God? What did I do, and why do I deserve this? And I could have um, shaken my fist at the heavens, but the Lord gave me enough grace to say, well, here we go. This is another adventure The Lord has something in store here that's bigger than me and my comfort and my situation and my hospital bills. This is something else he must want me to do. So for a week, I was in the hospital. The uh, vascular surgeon did indeed open up that wound and uh, sliced through my leg and let it drain. And then for the recovery period, I got to see all sorts of folks. Uh, who were coming in regularly to check on me. And for that week, I began to witness to a little gal from Venezuela who had migrated here by way of Miami and then uh, into our area, and another little gal from the Ukraine, beautiful little nurse. And uh, neither one of them had relationships with Jesus. But over that week, I got to talk to them individually. 
and I got to pray with them, and I got to hear them to say an everlasting yes to the Lordship Amen. of Jesus Christ over their lives. I got to speak to other physicians and those attending that week. I got to speak to a couple other patients and um, then the home health care people that did the follow-up. And for five months, the Lord used this situation that had nothing really to do about me and my convenience and my comfort and my wherewithal. It had all to do with maximum glory to him and bringing others to a living knowledge of who Jesus really is. That's what life is about for me. Every day, it's a, when the sun comes up, I say, thank you, Lord. It's a right. new adventure. Right. And uh, it's not always easy, I'm sure, as you can attest, but the Lord orchestrates our circumstances in a way, you know, you went through that maybe so that a couple people could come to Christ. I mean, I think uh, that's certainly true. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Brother David. And uh, anything else that I haven't asked you already or that you haven't mentioned already that you'd like to share with us, whether it be about your continued healing in that process or about your family and anything else that you would like to share? Well, thank the Lord that that little uh, injury to the leg is completely healed. But uh, without a doubt, my greatest purpose here on planet Earth, I believe, is to give maximum glory right. to the God who pulled my life out of a miry yeah. pit and set me on the rock. It's to glorify Him and enjoy His presence. Amen. And there's nothing more precious to me in this life than His presence. Right. I remember the story of Moses who was trying to lead these three million Jews out of Egypt and take them to this land that had been promised to them. And they finally escaped Pharaoh and his armies. And uh, after some years of grumbling and complaining and seeing people, uh, people's lives wasted because of that, they're then ready to go into this promised land. But their hearts still are not right. And God has a conversation with Moses and tells him that... Uh, I'll let you go on over into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. My presence is not going to go with you, Moses. And Moses says, oh, dear God. He says, unless you go with us, I'm not budging from this place. And that's how I feel. If I don't have that precious presence of the Lord, if I don't have that reassurance of his love and his companionship, as Jehovah Shammah, the God who is ever-present, then I don't want to move. Right. I don't want to take false steps. I've done that too much in my life and wasted my time and others' uh, resources because I was too anxious to do something on my own and to realize that God has said, I'll go with you. I'll be your constant companion. I'll be there to the end of the age. And to believe him, to trust him, to love him that way, He's never let me down, and I've always seen his hand at work, even when I could not figure out what in the world was going on around me. He was there. Amen. Thank you, Brother David, for sharing those words of encouragement, uh, those words from the Lord. I always tell you this, but I always mean it. Whenever I talk to you, I always leave encouraged, and I always thank God for using you to speak wisdom into my life, and uh, I'm sure that those you come in contact with feel the same way. And just in closing today, I'm just going to pray a blessing over you and your wife, Mishrita, and over your family, and 
just anybody who comes in contact with you, that God will continue to use you to bless their lives. Thank you, Grace. And uh, also thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you. My pleasure. Lord, I come before you today and I thank you for Brother David Gilbert's life. And uh, I just pray a blessing over him and his wife, Miss Rita, and over their two grown sons and their family, Lord, and uh, the rest of their family, Lord. I just pray a blessing over them and their neighbors and uh, anybody else they come in contact with, Lord, in their daily lives, uh, that they will be blessed in the same way that I'm blessed uh, talking to Brother David. And uh, I just uh, pray that you meet their needs and uh, uh, that you continue to help them feel your presence in their lives. And uh, thank you for uh, the encouragement that he brings and that they bring, their lives bring, to our church and to our community, Lord. And I just uh, ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that Brother David Gilbert's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.